welcome to the Dear White Women podcast. We're your hosts, Sarah and Misasha. And today, thanks to the prompting from our listener, Kevin, we are going to be looking at Castor Semenya and the different ways that gender is treated in sports. I'm so excited that we get to talk about Castor Semenya today. When you first said her name, I have to admit, I had no idea what you were talking about. And then I did see some articles and I was like, oh, Misasha's got her finger on the pulse. Right. Let's talk about this. Yes. Well, actually, um, this was listener suggested, if you can believe this. Ooh, have, I yes, love it. Anybody I else have suggested out there? Keep going, mm-hmm. people. Tell us. I know. Tell us more. Because I also, um, when I had first heard the name Castor Semenya, I thought it sounded familiar. But in reality, I had no idea who she was. But now that I've heard her story and learned about her treatment, I'm angry on her behalf. And quite frankly, if you're a woman or you know women, you should be too. And here's why. So there's a great Washington Post article by Monica Hesse about this and um, about the treatment of Castor Semenya. And she contrasts Castor Semenya's treatment with Michael Phelps. And to back up a second, Castor Semenya is a South African track star. So she is not only a track star, but she is quite possibly one of the best female athletes around. And if you think about other like just top of their game athletes, Michael Phelps often comes to mind. And the thing about Michael Phelps is that he has some sort of genetic blessings that people might consider abnormalities, but for him really give him a leg up among swimmers or other athletes. So for example, he possesses a disproportionately vast wingspan. So that means fingertip to fingertip when you stretch your arms out to the side, his is super long. He has double-jointed ankles, which give his kick unusual range. And in this weird quirk, he apparently produces just half the lactic acid of a typical athlete. And since lactic acid causes fatigue, he's pretty much biologically equipped to be amazing at whatever he does and get way less tired than your average athlete. That's amazing. Right? And these things, these gifts that Michael Phelps possesses, everyone thinks they're amazing. No one suggested that he should have corrective surgery on his double-jointed ankles. No one has said that he should take medication to boost his lactic level to bring his competitive advantage in line with others. So when you think about that treatment and then you think about Castor Semenya and what has happened this month and just going to pause to say Michael Phelps, white man, Castor Semenya, black woman. Just an observation. Just an observation. Okay. So back to Castor Semenya and who is she? As I stated, she's an incredibly powerful runner from South Africa, a two-time Olympic champion. She's also been the subject of controversy since the beginning of her career a decade ago. Semenya is believed to have an intersex condition, though she doesn't publicly speak about it, which means her body allegedly produces testosterone at a higher level than most women. So on May 1st of this year, the Court of Arbitration for Sport ruled that if Semenya wanted to continue to compete, she would be required to take medications to lower that. So interesting. Okay, hold tight, because I want to back up just a second. First of all, you did say there's no medications required for Michael Phelps. Nobody's ever brought that up. And yet she is required to take medications to change something that her body naturally produces. So let's talk about intersex, because you said she's believed to have an intersex condition. Right. And so I just want to be clear about what intersex is. It's kind of, it's like a socially constructed category 
that reflects a real biological variation. I mean, we're all different. We're, we're all built differently along a whole spectrum. But intersex is generally a term that's used for a variety of conditions where a person's born with a reproductive or sexual anatomy that doesn't seem to fit the typical definitions of female or male. So you could have, for example, a person born appearing to be a female on the outside, but maybe having most typically male anatomy on the inside. So instead of ovaries, they'd have different things on the inside. Or a person might be born with genitals that seem to be in between the usual male and female, like a girl might be born with a noticeably large clitoris, lacking a vaginal opening. A boy might be born with notably small penis or with a scrotum that's divided, so it's more like a labia. There's a whole variety of how people present along this reproductive or sexual gender spectrum. Gender being different, actually, it's the wrong word for it, but just, you know, these assignments that we make. So we speak of intersex as a condition you're born with. It doesn't always show up at birth, right? It's not like, here's your baby, and then you can see it. Because sometimes people might not realize they have intersex anatomy until you reach the age of puberty. And all of a sudden these hormones happen and then your genitals or your internal organs start becoming more obviously different. You could be infertile as an adult. You might die of old age and be autopsied and be found to be different. Some people can live and die without even realizing that they have an intersex anatomy. So it's not an obvious thing. I think that's fascinating. I had no idea that you could basically live your whole life and not know that you have this condition known as intersex. Right. Which is, I mean, because it's not even a diagnosed one particular condition. It's just a whole variety in how your body's put together. Right. So there are many ways in which intersex can appear in someone's body. Correct. Okay. So going back to Castro Semenya for a second, or for a long time, um, the <laughs> CAS, which was upholding a previous ruling by the International Association of Athletics Federations, admitted that this May 1st decision and this ruling about what Castor Semenya was going to need to do going forward was tantamount to discrimination. But they also released a statement saying, quote, discrimination is a necessary, reasonable and proportionate means of achieving the IAAF's aim of preserving the integrity of female athletics. So there's so much to unpack there. Right. Let's let's start. So what is a, quote, reasonable and proportionate amount of testosterone for Castor Semenya's body to possess? Luckily for us, the IAAF offered specifics, and their specifics are it should be below five nanomoles per liter. What is a nanomole? It is one billionth of a mole. So very, very tiny, in other words. And so for those of you who think you have immediate feelings about this ruling, do you know how many nanomoles of testosterone are in your blood? <laughs> no, I did not even realize that there was such a measurement, right? Yeah. So, I mean, this ruling is based on the idea that gender, as we know it, can be measured, that it exists in some form of nanomoles. Right. Well, it seems based on that, that... We're saying that there's exactly two genders and that there's this very, very clear line dividing them. So what they're saying is basically if Castor Semenya has 4.99 nanomoles of testosterone per liter, then the integrity of female athletics will be preserved. But at 5.01, it won't. When we know about how humans are put together and, and how it's all on a spectrum, how can there be this clear dividing line between what's acceptable and what's not in terms of gender and what your body makes? Does that make sense? To anybody else? No, you? Mm -mm. Nope. Right. Nope. Because yeah. it, so if you were forced to submit to a testosterone test, would you bet your livelihood and your identity on like sheer hope that your measurements will turn up on what they've deemed to be correct and acceptable? 
And if they didn't, would you alter your identity based on this new data? Or would you maybe like, would you be like, oh, okay, that means I'm not enough. I'm not actually a woman. So I'm going to take medicine to change my testosterone measurements to make me more acceptably a woman? Or would you kind of say, I am who I am and I am more than just that number, right? Most women have never been forced to submit to such a test. I think I know that for me, I identify as a woman and I'm pretty comfortable saying that without taking any form of testosterone measurements. Yeah, same here. I can't imagine being asked to take one, honestly, because to me, that's identity is so grounded in what you believe as well. Right, what you feel to be true. And there's so Mm -hmm. much misinformation about this. I think Fox and Friends called Semenya a transgender woman, which she is not. There's no identity confusion or anything. She happens to produce testosterone at a slightly higher level. So it begs the question, how should athletes who are born with hormonal differences be allowed to participate in the world, right? I mean, I, I can almost see the idea or the 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 question coming up if you identify as transgender and you are if you are born as a male and then want to participate in female athletics. I understand the question there. Is it pre-surgery, not surgery? I don't know. I've, I've had people in our community ask that about kids sports and stuff as well. But as an adult who is not transgender, who is and I don't know, this is maybe t- tricky territory. I'm curious where you, what you think, me, Sasha. But if a higher than normal level of testosterone makes someone excel in certain pursuits, do we say that they have to stay away from them, right? If your body is naturally what it is, and what's that dividing line? Yeah, I, I think that line is so tricky. And for, you know, an international federation to say that this is the bright line and we can't, if you're on this side of the line, you identify as a woman. If you're on this side of the line, you're considered a man. I think that based on, you know, a nanomole or less of something in your blood, I just find that so hard to get behind. Right. Well, and is it really protecting women? Right. That's that's the bigger question. Right. Because there, I mean, I do understand, right? The testosterone gives you a physical advantage. If you, what are those crazy... Um, TV shows now where the people are like spider monkeying all over the, the you know what I mean? Those, those TV yep. shows, like the competitive American Ninja Warrior, that kind of stuff. Yeah. There's men with the testosterone as a general statement. If you were to take the average presentation of a man compared to the average presentation of a woman, the man will typically always beat the woman in one of those physical pursuits. They have more testosterone, the muscle mass, strength, your bodies as a general gross average, right? I understand where a woman will, if you had men and women compete on the same platform, generally speaking, a woman will never beat the man. Right. And that's why we do have separation in sports, I think, to account for that. But when you get down to such a finite or minute level, right. And right, over something that other people have been okay with and even, you know, praised for the fact that they have genetic abnormalities that allow them to be better. I think that's when the question is really most apparent. And especially when it comes to how do you define a woman? Right. And then what kind of women are we protecting? Are we protecting all women? Are we protecting some women, just not the ones who present as a black woman like Castro Semenya does? Like, I don't know. How far down does this go? How far down the rabbit hole would we go to discover the source of this, right? And what is it? Re- what is its real purpose? Because I think in this article, they go on to say, well, we're talking about the diversity of gender experiences in the field of athletics, we could be talking about a lot of different things. I think they talk about, I mean, we were talking about this earlier too, but gymnasts, you know, that, that wreaks havoc on their body and they have their careers cut short when their genetics cause them to grow taller than five feet. Or there are a lot of basketball players who would give anything to grow taller 
but they never do. Like genetics plays a large part in sport yes. and your ability to competitively participate. And I think, as you've said too, I mean, in com- competitive athletics, there are a lot of biological advantages and disadvantages, but some of these can be massive and also as small as a bit more testosterone that someone produces in their body. Yeah. And and I think what gets us so upset or so angry about the treatment of Castor Semenya here is because whereas male athletes in particular and white male athletes or maybe even white athletes overall have largely been able to, you know, thrive off this competitive ability, we have a black female athlete who is at the top of her game being subjected to not just this ruling, but years of this. She had to undergo a sex verification test in 2009, and which sounds, you know, like some medieval torture device. And, and they don't, they haven't really released what the details of it are. So super suspect, but it's hard to imagine, you know, anything that's called a sex verification test is anything but super humiliating. And what she said at the time was, I have been subjected to unwarranted and invasive scrutiny of the most intimate and private details of my being. So I think you can kind of guess as to what some components of the sex verification right, test were, right. right? And the way that she's been discussed over these past 10 years has been invasive, has been speculative, has been racist. You know, Pierre Weiss, the secretary general, the previous secretary general of the IAAF in 2001 said that, quote, it is clear that she is a woman, but maybe not 100%. Huh. So what does that mean? I mean Right. I mean, he didn't say how it was clear or who was clear to or what percentage that was or how he came up with this percent. Whereas, you know, people like Michael Phelps are in Olympic history as being so great and so amazing because of these differences. Again, he's a hero and Castor Semenya is like a mutant, you know, like her genetic differences that make her able to excel are treated as something that should be treated rather than something that should be praised. That's interesting. I mean, and I, in different industries, I bet it would be treated totally differently. But in the sense of athletics, it, you know, the stronger, faster, it, the ideal is more, quote, masculine, if you will, right, to make you more competitive and able to have stronger muscles and have more testosterone and less lactic acid. Like, you have to be that competitive versus, I, I mean, I can't imagine any athlete having an advantage by being more traditionally feminine in any athletic pursuit, right? Yeah. I don't know. So that, I mean, it does. It's what does it mean to be a woman in this sense, to be able to compete in these athletics when we know that so much of, and this is very distinct from the conversation around gender, which is a completely different conversation. This is very much like this biological, how are they defining male, female to be qualified to perform in these high intensity, top of the line, world-class events? Right. And I I think that this also creates a slippery slope, right? Because not only I think we've seen that there have been medical tests like drug testing, for example, that have happened regardless of gender. But I I think right here in the Castro Semenya ruling and Katrina Karkazis, who I probably totally butchered her name, she is the senior visiting fellow at the Global Health Justice Partnership at Yale University and co-author of the forthcoming Testosterone and Unauthorized Biography coming out in the fall from Harvard University Press. 
really she feels as as well as I do, and I, I think you do too, Sarah, that this decision endorses discrimination against women in sports and allows sports governing bodies to require medically unnecessary interventions for continued eligibility violating women's bodily autonomy and integrity, because basically this has opened the door to a large variety of testing directed at women who may not be presenting as, quote, women or whatever the IAAF's definition of woman is that men are not undergoing and that they can sort of voluntarily and arbitrarily decide they should be doing. Well, and doesn't this talk about the normalization of male sports as the sport and women's sports as underneath that, like the NBA should be the MNBA, the male NBA, <laughs> and then the WNBA, right? I mean, we, the language we use around so many sports centers the male athletics as the norm. And then female athletics is not, I mean, Title IX be damned, like it's still not equal. And this continues to make female athletics the other or, you know, subject to a different set of rules, which is really interesting. Yeah. And I think that you are um, not only opening the door to a different set of rules, but you're opening the door to medical interventions that are going to be, you know, quote, required for athletes and female athletes to continue to do the sports, which they want to do, which is a distinctly disparate treatment between men and women. And it really allows other people, largely a governing body made up of men, to decide what gender is and what gender should be. That's interesting. And it it makes me sad because wasn't there just the female athlete, the runner, who came back to win an Olympic event after having a child? And it was like, yes, like women can do it. We can do it all. And I really wonder, were there any hormonal checks for her? Like, I don't know. How does that, how does that, our, our bodies, women's bodies are created differently than men, for sure. And we have a different set of hormones and we go through different stages in all of our lives. How do you assess what's an appropriate level of hormones to be qualified as a woman? I don't understand it. And it feels like a huge step back coming from this whole sense of like women in sports are awesome and strong and tough. And that's great. I completely agree. I I just read an article, too, about how women's soccer was actually going to get their own uniforms made as opposed to tailoring down men's uniforms to fit women's bodies. So it was, you know, recognition of women as athletes and playing on a world class level. So I, I totally agree. This seems like a gigantic step back. And really harmful for women, for minority women, for people that are not seen as the norm. But I do think that Castro Semenya should have the last word on the subject. And she said in a statement, quote, I know that the IAAF's regulations have always targeted me specifically. For a decade, the IAAF has tried to slow me down, but this has actually made me stronger. The decision of the CAS will not hold me back. I will once again rise above and continue to inspire young women and athletes in South Africa and around the world. She also tweeted, quote, they laugh at me because I am different. I laugh at them because they are the same. Boom. I know. I love her. That's so great. That was a giant mic drop there. Yeah. I'm like, is there anything more to say in this episode? She said it. Go, Castro Semenya. I will cheer you on. Yeah. But in terms of action items going forward, I think... 
um, th- learning about Castro Semenya for me made me really start to think about who we see as our athletic heroes, right? And how we treat differences in athletes. And is there a double standard? Because I, you know, love watching all forms of sports. But yes, there there are distinctly different ways in which people are treated. And to really be cognizant of that, I think, is is a good first step. What do you think, Sarah? I mean, we've had a conversation around sports before, and we know that I'm not the world's biggest sports <laughs> watcher or athlete. Um, I think the biggest thing I learned putting this together was just how this continues to be a back and forth. Women's sports, I mean, I was always aware that women's sports were second tier, you know, in, in popular culture. But we're continuing to see, I mean, that that what you just said about the the soccer team and all that sort of stuff. The fight's not over yet, and we need to continue to speak up. And I just, it, it was really illuminating to learn that, you know, here in 2019, these kind of conversations are still having, these decisions are being made that a woman in particular is required to take medication in order to continue to compete based on just a biological difference that her body with no drugs, no nothing is happening when you still have issues of people purposely doping themselves, men doping themselves in other sports. Uh, and that's not being cracked down on, but yet, we have this issue and why is there so much attention or time and, and energy being spent on this when there's so many bigger problems out there? I just find it fascinating. And I, and I thought that was my biggest takeaway. I agreed. I am going to be a huge fan of hers, though. Go Caster. Yay. <laughs> if you love what you're hearing, please subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a rating and review while you're at it. Also, if you're looking for some great email, who isn't, sign up on our website, dearwhitewomen.com, and get our weekly email every Wednesday that gives you special bonus insider tips. You can also find us on social media. Sarah, can you tell us where to find? Absolutely. On Facebook and Instagram at Dear White Women Podcast, and on Twitter at DWW Podcast. Find us there. 